Hi there, it's Ricardo Silvestre, your host for the Liberal Europe podcast, and this is a special episode because today we say goodbye to the mini-series Liberal Europe podcast in lockdown. This mini-series started with the Liberties in Lockdown webinars organized by ELF, and even if we're not out of the woods yet, things are looking way better and we're not in lockdown anymore, so no reason for us to continue this series and I sure hope we don't have any reason in the future to go back to lockdown series. I want to thank all the guests that accepted to talk to me during the uh, in lockdown series. Thank you for your generosity and for helping us understand better the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic on society. And also to you that follow these conversations during that very stressful and uh, very anxious period that we had during the worst part of the crisis. And today we're going to finish with Ella Yakubovska. Ella is the policy and campaigns on biometrics at EDRI. And she was part of the Liberties in Lockdown 11, Policing the Pandemic, Freedom of Assembly and COVID-19. And Ella brought up some really important points during that discussion, particularly regarding biometrics and biometrics mass surveillance. So I asked Ella to talk to me. And this is the conversation that I'm going to bring you next. And after that, I'll be back to tell you about the events organized by ELF for the month of September. I'm here with Ella Jakubowska. Ella, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ricardo. I'm really looking forward to delving into these topics with you. Oh, it's great to have you. I first saw Ella on the webinar, Liberties in Lockdown, with uh, the title, Policing the Pandemic, Freedom of Assembly and COVID-19. But first of all, let's talk a little bit about you and the work you do at, at EDRI. Mm-hmm. And I'm very thankful for the work you do for particular reasons that have to do with my academic career, but please tell our listeners in particular the work you do also. Absolutely. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know, EDRI is a coalition of 44 civil society organizations all across Europe, um, and we're all working on fundamental rights in the digital age. So there's a really wide variety of topics on which we work, um, everything from artificial intelligence through to platform regulation, um, and we look at how the digitalization of European society impacts on all of our fundamental rights. Um, So I'm specifically looking at biometrics and biometric mass surveillance. Um, So I work on both policy and campaigns, um, doing everything from research through to uh, engaging with our network, looking at public actions, Um, developing policy. Uh, I spent a considerable amount of of the last few months putting out our position paper where we call on the EU to ban biometric mass surveillance uh, due to the fundamental rights risks. And I guess I'm looking forward to to delving into exactly why we think that it needs to be banned. When we talk about other uh, stakeholders in this kind of process exactly what you just mentioned and that is to do policy papers even to do some lobbying on the right place at the right time how is that relation 
with the centers of power. Do you guys think that there's like much more to be done? Your voice is heard, difficulties in having that happen. Tell us a little bit about how the sausage is made. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, because we are a coalition across different European countries with very different contexts, uh, we're, we're bringing together and centralizing work that, that needs to influence national governments, some of which are very democratic, some of which, as we've seen you know, really worryingly over the last few years, are sliding more towards uh, authoritarian tendencies. You know, we've seen challenges to the rule of law, to the independence of judiciary. Um, so we've got this very broad range of contexts across our membership. And then in the Edry Brussels office, what we do is try and bring these different Uh, perspectives and different requirements for our national members uh, together and coordinate that so that as civil society we're asking for something that's a lot more coherent uh, from the European Commission, from the Parliament um, and from other European institutions. And I think being within the EU we're, we're very fortunate that the the framework of fundamental rights and data protection that we already have uh, is very much about um, open democratic values um, and it's been designed to really listen to civil society voices so we are fortunate in that regard that we are able to represent our members and our members represent a lot of the voices of civil society from their countries And we bring that all together and we take it to the EU to make sure that as they're developing new policy and regulation, they really are listening to what's going to be impacting people on the ground in their day-to-day -day lives. And the recent consultation on artificial intelligence that the European Commission has been running is a great example of this because we put in as EDRI our own response to the consultation with a paper um, advising the Commission on what we think they need to do around rules for AI, which included the work that I do on biometric surveillance. And we also were able to get our members to also put in consultation responses. Um, so we, we do feel that there's there is a desire, but a, also a really, really strong need to have these civil society voices. Um, You may have seen, it's been in the news recently, uh, the vast amount of money that Facebook spends on lobbying the European institutions. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's very important that we're not just hearing from those voices, but we are hearing the voices who have an interest in protecting fundamental rights and making sure that the people of Europe are listened to. Let's get back to the topic of our conversation. You are an expert in uh, biometric max surveillance. For, for our listeners that are not familiarized with this uh, concept, please def describe that for us. And then I'll, I'm going to ask you about what are the effects of that on fundamental rights. But what is BMS? So we started off actually speaking about facial recognition uh, when this topic started to become one of the, the hot topics for the new European Commission um, program. And we very quickly realized that although facial recognition is something that a lot of people have heard of, 
it's actually not accurate to speak about just facial recognition because already we're seeing in public not just various devices, both hardware and software um, that can analyze our faces, but we're also seeing other forms of our personal data being watched, tracked, analyzed, um, and that could be everything from our fingerprints, um, our DNA, the way we walk, uh, how our voice sounds. I've even come across proposals for identifying people based on how they distribute their weight when they sit on a chair. Um, wow. So really, there's this really- Science fiction. Yeah, you know, right? Uh, yeah, and so if we just talk about faces, that's, that's narrowing um, the type of harms because actually in, in the work and the research that we do as Edry, we're seeing that other ways of taking our personal data um, often with video surveillance devices, but not always. Um, but taking our, our really intimate data and using it to infer and predict things about us, to try and identify who we are, um, or any other type of processing can be really harmful because, uh, you know, the, the way that you walk can be used to identify who you are but it can also give away something about your health status um, if you in a particular way. So we talk about biometrics as all of these different physical, physiological and behavioral characteristics and traits that can be in some way um, noticed and then recorded. And we call it surveillance as well, biometric surveillance, because we're seeing more and more in our public spaces and kind of more privatized public spaces like shopping centers, for example, we're seeing these, these systems being put up without any proper oversight. And the way that they're used can, is it's essentially, it's designed to, to watch us, to surveil us all the time. Um, so that's why we call it biometric surveillance. And, a great example that, that seems to be very familiar for a lot of people is the example of, of China. Um, most people have heard of the so-called social credit yes. score where people in China are being watched and then their behaviors are matched to other databases about who they are, who their family are. Um, and that would be kind of the very extreme end of, of what we're calling biometric surveillance. It's a, it, I, w I was saying just a minute ago, and I interrupted you, and sorry for that, because I was so uh, overblown by what you were saying, but it is kind of, a, and it is happening in China already, as you mentioned, but it's kind of a minority report from Philip K. Dick kind of thing, and uh, you know, it's not a podcast about pop culture, but our listeners will recognize this on the movie with Tom Cruise as he enters a store, the stores identifies him and starts asking him if he wants to buy this kind of uh, clothing or that kind of clothing because it recognized him. So that is pretty much the future that you are describing and it's very uh, scary. Now, regarding not having proper oversight, which is a great point from you, let's get then to the fact that not having this proper oversight starts interacting with our freedoms. either. The basic ones, we know the freedom of getting information, 
disseminating information, freedom of speech, but also, and as you mentioned in the webinar, the freedom of participation, of getting, to, getting together, of being social active. What is your biggest concern then in this area? Uh, so I've got two things I want to share on this. One is actually going back to what you said about the, the sci-fi thing. And you're right, it's really chilling, but actually it's not that much of a fiction anymore. Um, Edry, we, we look mm -hmm. at the different uses of these technologies that are happening in Europe right now. And there are systems that claim to be able to tell whether somebody is lying. And we've seen that experimented with at the EU's borders for vulnerable migrants. And, you know, you, you ask scientists and they say that there is no scientific basis for being able to infer whether somebody's lying. And yet already these, these technologies are being rolled out. And the way I sometimes like to think of it is if you think of any science fiction movie and if it's one where everyone is recognized and automatically given, like you said, suggestions for purchases or whatever it might be, in, in all of these films, it, it never ends up being a good thing because it's always used for control. And when you have somebody who wants to express legitimate dissent, when you have somebody who's identified abuses of power in their government, these systems are used to be able to shut that down. Um, so that leads into my second point about your question on, on how these systems can start to infringe on our democratic spaces. And you know, in, the, in the last few weeks and months especially, um, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movements across the US and across Europe too um, have really shown us how powerful protest is. and in terms of each of us as citizens and the opportunities that we get to engage in democratic processes and in telling our governments about the sort of society that we want to see, being able to express ourselves in public spaces, being able to assemble and, and join protests to be able to raise our voices and express solidarity with the causes that we feel strongly about, um, being able to to have anonymity or to be able to go into our public spaces without fear of being targeted as a result is really, really crucial. And when you start introducing, whether it's facial recognition or other forms of, of biometric surveillance into our public spaces, it has what is often known as a chilling effect. And this has been really, really well substantiated in research that when people know that they're being watched all of the time, they change their behavior and normal behaviors like putting your hood up or wearing sunglasses in public are suddenly um, kind of given these or attributed with these qualities of suspicion that actually are not real. And these are very reasonable things for human beings to do and are within our rights to do. Uh, but but suddenly this, it casts this air of suspicion and, and we have many cases of where people who are surveilled all the time are no longer comfortable with expressing their political views because of how it can be used against them. And 
not just them, but also everyone that they interact with. Um, we've had examples of people's kind of social graphs, whether that's other protesters or even their families being tracked and analyzed as a result. And, and suddenly when everywhere you go and everything you do and everyone you meet can be attached to your face, that is indelibly linked to who you are. And that starts to build up this really detailed picture of everything about you that can so easily be abused in really sinister ways. And we're not just talking in the hypothetical here. Um, in the US, we already know that um, a few years ago, when people were protesting against the unlawful death of Freddie Gray in police custody, we know that the police used facial recognition to target legitimate protesters. Um, we've seen these similar tools be used in, in Hong Kong and China in very um, authoritarian ways. And even in the last few weeks in Serbia, for example, in, in Belgrade, there's early reports starting to come out about facial recognition being used to identify people who were protesting who didn't do any, anything illegal. They were just there protesting and, and raising their voices. So we know that, that these tools have a not just a capacity to suppress democracy, um, but, to, but they've been actively stopping people from raising their voices, stopping people from expressing themselves and assembling. Um, and if I just you know, flip this issue on, on its head, it's so important that, that we have freedom and control over our public spaces because this is what allows us to have control over our fundamental rights and to be able to hold power to account if suddenly we lose control of our public spaces, we lose the forums that allow us to speak to each other, to meet, to share ideas, to um, to have human rights defenders and journalists and whistleblowers. So for all of us, it's really crucial that we protect these spaces and, and don't allow them to become spaces of control that, that violate our freedoms. Al, I couldn't agree with with you more and I think one of the most pernicious things that you mentioned and in this area that you know so well which is uh, the biometric mass surveillance but also on freedom of speech for example on digital platforms I'm very concerned and maybe one day I'll have you back on the podcast so that we can talk a little more about this that we don't need those dramatic measures that we for example see in science fiction where there's like totalitarian systems of control. We just need the chilling effect. We just need to have people more and more refrain from saying things, refrain from doing things because they will be concerned that something will happen exactly as you described. And we don't need the bulldozer, unfortunately. We don't need a bulldozer to make people comply. Now, another thing that you described very well in the last conversation I saw with you, it's about the human dignity. Please elaborate a little bit on that because I think that's a fascinate, fascinating point also. Yeah, absolutely. And the more research that we've done on, on dignity, the more we've, we've seen how it speaks to the core of why biometric surveillance can be so scary. And to the point you just made, it's, it's exactly the case that it doesn't have to be dramatic systems with cameras on every corner for this to be something that that starts to change people's behavior and when you look at, at some of the countries within the eu that are having threats to 
the independence of their media um, and you're seeing media losing funding and being undermined it exactly only takes very small changes for people to no longer feel like they can speak up and that has such a waterfall effect on all of our democratic rights and freedoms so dignity is it's already it's a foundational concept of human rights and although it's something that can be quite hard to define because it's quite personal it's something that at the same time is universal. It, it connects all of us as humans, our desire and our need to live a dignified life. Um, and for different people, it means different things, but, but there's some common threads around, you know, in order to live a dignified life, we need to have choice and control over the things that we do. Um, we need to have privacy and respect for our ability to live a private life um, without judgment, without fear of repercussions for being who we are. And we need respect for who we are as human beings um, without you know, intrusion, without uh, infringing on our ability to self-develop self and to try things out and experiment and, and be who we are. And taking it back to a, a really, really you know, micro level, I sometimes think, you know, imagine how I would send messages to my friends if I knew that my mum was watching all the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a flippant example, but I would act differently, not because I was doing anything wrong, but just because, of course, you're going to be, be different when you know that somebody is looking over your shoulder all the time. And it's exactly the same when we're being surveilled. Um, it implies that we are suspicious. And actually, we're not. We're just humans with a right and a need to have privacy and to be ourselves without someone judging or controlling that. So dignity is something, therefore, that is called into question by biometrics. And there are some specific ways that, that biometric processing brings up some really interesting existential questions about our dignity because at a really fundamental level whether biometric processing is being used for surveillance or, or for something else at the end of the day it's taking our our bodies um, and our characteristics which are really personal and intimate to us and it's turning them into mathematical data points that by essence are going to be used to analyze us so already from a dignity point of view that's something that's quite uncomfortable um, beyond that they can also well biometric processing can also try and make your identity feel quite fixed it's quite an essentialist thing because it's trying to predict who you are and what you are and especially for people who are perhaps trans or gender non-conforming or really any of us that that want to have different facets of our personalities the idea of a machine saying no this is who you are mm -hmm. and this is how i think you're going to behave is really really uncomfortable and 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 really doesn't allow us to to express ourselves as human beings um this is especially chilling when when we go back to the example i gave earlier around lie detectors, so-called lie detectors at the EU borders, because that claims to be able to recognize our emotions and our behaviors. And that is just not something that has any scientific evidence. Um, 
So, you know, for, for many reasons, uh, our dignity is, is put in jeopardy by biometric processing. But it's, again, it's not just in the abstract. Um, we're seeing real examples in the live use of these technologies. Um, so one of our members, one of EDRI's members, Privacy International, has been collecting examples. And we've seen facial recognition technologies that label black people as animals. Um, I mean, that's disgraceful. And, and you can have whole debates around the training data and why that's happened. But at the end of the day, um, that is not allowing people to live a dignified life. Um, similarly, we're seeing a lot of these technologies be targeted against vulnerable migrants, which again, when we think about dignity um, and we think about the underlying goals of these tools, there's, a, there's an example in Italy. One of our members, the um, Hermes Center in Italy, have done some brilliant work looking at how the system has been explicitly developed to target protesters. This was written in the procurement documents. Um, and also, their further investigations has been shown that for the vast majority of uses, this, this facial recognition system has been designed to be targeted against migrants. So those kind of underlying goals are really worrying from a, di a dignity point of view because migrants already are in a position of, of such a lack of power. Um, the European the EU's fundamental rights agency have catalogued many examples of when migrants have had their biometric data taken in, in um, sometimes actually violent ways because of that imbalance of power and the vulnerability of somebody who who doesn't necessarily have a regular migration status and, and desperately needs to achieve that for them and their family. So from a dignity point of view, you can really exploit the, the dignity of, of migrants. And, and even just thinking that back to your earlier question about oversight, um, the Hermes Center found evidence that that sorry facial recognition system was not even legal under Italian law and had not gone through proper data protection processes to be procured. So that's really a, a, a full spectrum of, of fundamental rights problems around infringing dignity, um, failing to be transparent, failing to do data protection impact assessments, failing to be compliant with due process under national law in the system that are actually being brought in at the moment um, and as you can probably imagine from what I'm saying I could go on and on about these real uses that are, are challenging our, our dignity um, there's uses in, in France and Poland of children in schools being being um, managed and monitored with facial recognition and biometric um, fingerprint systems and you really have to ask when when children have you know special rights because they're you know that the decisions that happen around them right now could have an impact on their whole lives and you know, their data is more sensitive and biometric data on its own is really sensitive if we've got children um you know, why are we bringing in biometrics france and poland have found these deployments illegal because they recognize that we need to protect our children and but there are much less invasive options like security badges and other kind of very normal systems for managing children's entry into schools and managing how they get their school lunches. But it really begs the question, why were we trying to do this with our children in the first place? 
vibrant, democratic, free societies where everybody feels respected, where everybody's dignity is respected, biometrics is absolutely not the way to do this. For people that are listening to us and think, well, I'm not a migrant, well, I don't have any children, well, I feel comfortable going into a mall and have my face recognized. As I was listening to you, Ella, I keep going back to that famous saying by Ben Franklin, which was, be aware of trading your freedoms for security. And in this particular point, I would add, be aware of trading your dignity for comfort. So Ella, let's uh, close this up with a positive um, note. What can people do to then not only know more about this particular topic, but be active and try to make a difference? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, sometimes we get people thinking, well, if I, you know, if I'm not doing anything wrong, then then why should this affect me? And and actually, that's a a real fallacy because this affects all of us. Because once we have these systems in our public places, they can be targeted against anyone and, and actually to create the sort of democratic society that we want to see and that we value in the EU, um, it's really important that every single one of us can can have our voices heard. You know, that's, um, that's kind of one of the ideas that democracy is founded on, that the individual has their ability to influence the political and, and the larger um, forces that are at play within on the larger structures in our society. So we all have a vested interest in being able to stay involved in that. And we all have a vested interest in being able to have a free and kind of liberal um, sphere for, the, for our journalists, because that's how we get access to information. That's how we hold power to account. So these issues are very much not just for people at the margins who might be affected differently because of issues of discrimination, but also for every person that wants to be able to exist in public. Um, so in terms of what, what people can do, how they can be more informed, I mean, the, for me, the Edry Network shows that there are a wealth of brilliant grassroots activist organizations and researchers doing really brilliant national work to raise attention to these issues um, and, and organizing kind of campaigns and citizen organizing, which is really, really powerful. Um, but at the same time, you know, each of us, you know, as they say, we can, we can vote with our feet. Um, we can start looking at the the uses of biometrics that we that we see day to day and start thinking uh, or start thinking about it because often these things are introduced unconsciously we don't get a chance to say hang on i'm not comfortable with this this isn't the sort of society that i want to have so you know edry we encourage everyone to think about this what democracy means to us and, and what we need to see in our societies and then to have broad public debates about whether the introduce, introduction of these biometric technologies in our public spaces allows us to have the sorts of, of public spaces that, that we want and that we need. And that's something as well that the EU Commission has, has, asked, uh, has asked to have. Um, they say they want to see broad public debate and Already at Edry, we're seeing really positive 
responses from the public. There was a fundamental rights agency survey that showed across the EU, more than 80% of people do not want their facial images to be shared with law enforcement and other authorities. So we're already hearing from people that they don't want this, that this isn't the kind of, of society that we want to create. And so we need more of this. We need in the press, we need more discussion about what these tools do. And the fundamental thing is we need more transparency and oversight. It's just not acceptable that we have collusion between governments and private companies rolling out these systems without any accountability and without people knowing what it means and where there might be cameras. So I've seen some brilliant public action in Serbia, for example, to draw attention to these systems, but we need more of it. We need more awareness. We need more accountability. We need to know what is happening and to challenge it, to not let it just become normalized because nobody took the time to, to think about the implications because once we have these systems in place, all, in place, all the evidence shows they can be repurposed, um, they can be expanded in, in really sinister ways. And so we need to call it out and we need to think about it and talk about it and take action about it if we're going to build the sorts of, of vibrant and free societies that are absolutely essential for our fundamental rights and our democracy. Ella, this was a fascinating conversation. I'm very happy to have had you here on the pod to talk about something that is so important as this one. And as you're saying, it's getting ubiquitous. So we need to think about it, talk about it and make those changes for the better now before everything is in place. And then it's get really, really difficult to have things go back. I'm going to put all the links on the podcast that will lead our listeners not only to the work done by Edri, but also those surveys that you just mentioned and other documents that Ella would like to share with us. For now, Ella, I'm going to ask you to come back because we just started this conversation. There's much more to talk about. But thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's great to be able to talk about these things. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk more in the future because uh, as, as I think you can tell, I could talk about this for a long time. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you feel like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elf for this month of September. On the 18th of September in The Hague in the Netherlands, we're going to have the European Trainers Academy. This is a project that will establish an Elf framework for training of trainers in order to further promote capacity building and improve the quality of training across the liberal network. Potential trainers include professionals, experts and practitioners in their respective fields of political work who will be able to share their knowledge within their party organizations, foundations, as well as participate in events in the region and beyond. This event is organized by the European Liberal Forum, supported by International Education Center, the Haie van Sommeren's Teaching and IDI. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. 
And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>